This is Orson Welles on the Air, featuring the old-time radio performances of the legendary Orson Welles. On this episode of Orson Welles on the Air, we'll hear from This Is My Best, a series produced between 1944 and 1946. It's one that Orson Welles starred in in earlier episodes Beginning with the episode we'll hear today, he took over the show for a short time, writing and directing for it. The story we'll hear is Heart of Darkness, first aired March 13, 1945. It's a story he was working on a film version for in 1940, before turning his attention to Citizen Kane, according to Wikipedia anyway. It's also a story he adapted to the Mercury Theater and Campbell Playhouse as well. Here's the Heart of Darkness, from This Is My Best. Good evening, this is Orson Welles. Inviting you to listen now to The Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad on Cresta Blanca's This Is My Best. This is my best. America's greatest stars in the world's best stories. Presented each week by Shenley's Cresta Blanca Wine. Wine of friendly nature. Pride of the Mintner's Art. Symbol of hospitality. Compliments to honored guests. A wine to serve proudly, saying, This is my best. This is Cresta Blanca. C R E S T A. B L A N C A. Cresta Blanca. Cresta Blanca. Orson Welles again. I can't tell you how truly pleased and proud I am to join the Cresta Blanca program. This is my best, and I'm glad to, to start off with an old favorite, a show the Mercury brought you first, a story we came to Hollywood to make a movie of. We never did. Maybe someday we will. But I think it's particularly well-suited to radio. Here it is. One of the best-regarded and most typical of the works of Joseph Conrad. The Heart of Darkness could be described as a deliberate masterpiece or a downright incantation. Almost we are persuaded that there is something after all, something essential, waiting for all of us in the dark areas of the world, aboriginally loathsome, immeasurable, and certainly nameless. This also has been one of the dark places of the earth. Eight bells. Guess I better call all hands. No hurry, mister. We can't put the ship anyway till the tide turns. Be nice to see New York again. What's that you say, Marlowe, about the dark places? Hmm? Oh, I was thinking of very old times. When our fathers first came here 400 years ago the other day. Imagine the feelings of a skipper of a fine frigate or a bark. A civilized man 400 years ago hoped to off the battery here at the very end of the world. He'd land in a swamp, march through the woods, and in some inland post feel the savagery, the utter savagery that stirs in the forests, in the jungles, in the hearts of wild men. Has a fascination, too, that goes to work upon him. The abomination, you know. There's a man I knew once. I'd like to tell you about him. About the girl, too. Now you're getting somewhere. Uh, it's his story. Well, let's hear it, man. 
To understand everything, you ought to know how I got out there. How I went up that river into the dark country where I met him. It was before the war. I was just loafing around one of the big port towns looking for a ship when I saw that map in a shop window. I was standing there looking at it. I noticed a girl's face reflected in the glass. It's like a snake, isn't it? I beg your pardon? The river. Oh, the river. On the map? Yes. The way it coils inland there from the coast. Yeah, it does look like a snake, doesn't it? And that delta there at the mouth of the river, it's like a bird. As if the snake had hypnotized a silly little bird. Please, I hope you don't think I spoke to you because... Oh, no. Well, you see, I, I come here often to look... No, don't start apologizing. That'll spoil everything. Well, the truth is, I, I have a personal interest in that country shown there on the map. I've never been there, nearly everywhere else, but... Feeling all right? It's just a little cold. It always is here in the early morning. The sun shining brightly at the end of the street there. I know. I often sit there watching the ships in the harbor. Well, let's go and watch them together, shall we? We walked in silence, this strange girl and I, until something, or the sight of the harbor, perhaps the sea reaches stretching out to the distant places of the earth, started her talking. It has been more than a year now since I've heard from him, but I know he's alive. The company was satisfied as long as he went on sending ivory back to the coast. But now they say the ivory has stopped coming. Well, I should think they'd send an expedition to see what's happened to your friend. That's unexplored country. The company owns a good steamboat, I believe, but needs an expert navigator. They have not found a man who was willing to try it. Well, I've never been a freshwater sailor, but I'm looking for a ship. Would you... Well... Go on to the company office. <laughs> Look here, what are you talking me into? Don't you see it's his work? His work that's so important. Well, I don't mean to be rude, but bamboozling a bunch of savages for a few elephant tusks. <laughs> that can't be so important. But Eric has a plan, you see. The dark country is the beginning only. His plan will change the world. You really believe that, don't you? What's the name of this remarkable fiancé of yours? Kurtz. Eric Kurtz. But what was it, this plan of his? Well, I don't pretend to have understood it later on when I met him. Well... We'll come to that part of the story. Anyway, you went around to the company offices the next day and signed up as skipper of this riverboat. I got the job quick, too. Seems one of their captains had been killed in a scuffle with the natives. Oh. Yes, and a compassionate secretary full of desolation and sympathy made me sign a document. I believe I undertook, among other things, not to disclose any trade secrets. Well, I'm not going to. But you know, it was strange, queer, as though I'd been led into some sort of conspiracy... Something not quite right. I find myself standing in a room as quiet as a city of the dead, while an untidy little doctor thumped my chest and took my pulse. Ah, uh, good. Good for there, good for where you are going. Uh, excuse me, uh, will you let me measure your head? What for? I always ask leave in the interest of science to measure the crania of those going out there. Oh, and when they come back, too. No, 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 I never see them. Hmm. Good Nordic type, superior rational. Uh, very interesting, the effect it has. You never see them? No, 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 no. 
Besides, the changes take place inside. Inside. In the tropics, one must before everything keep calm. That's what I tell them all. Even Mr. Kurtz. Oh, Mr. Kurtz. You know Mr. Kurtz. Tell me something about him. Mr. Kurtz is a very great man, sir. Ever have any madness in your family? Madness? Not that I know of. Ah. Well, excuse me. Goodbye. In the tropics, one must before everything keep calm. Keep calm. That's what I tell them all. On my way into the dark country, we called in every port. Places with names like Gran Bassam and Little Popo. A tin shed and a flagpole in the wilderness, where the merry dance of death and trade goes on in a still and earthy atmosphere, as of an overheated catacomb. And every day it looked the same. A colossal jungle that seemed to glisten and drip with steam. There it was before you, grand, mean, savage, and always mute with an air of whispering. It was upward of 30 days before I saw the mouth of the big river. The captain of the steamer was a Swede. Fine lot, these colonial fellas, ain't they? Funny what some people will do for a few francs a month. I wonder what becomes of that kind when it goes up country. Well, I'll be able to answer that question before long. So? Yeah. Well, don't be too sure. The other day I took a man up who hanged himself on the road. Between the wharf and the station. Hanged himself? Why? Who knows? Sun was too much for him, or the country, perhaps. At last we opened to reach a few dusty, hungry-looking natives watched our boat but made no gesture of greeting. There's your company station, Mr. Morrow. I'm beginning to see why your other passenger hanged himself. <laughs> I'll send your thanks up. Four boxes, did you say? So, farewell, Mr. Morrow. made my way across the unspeakable stretch of ground that lay before the station. Ahead of me, six natives advanced in a file. Each had an iron collar, and all were connected together with a chain whose bite swung between them. Rhythmically clinking, they seemed like disembodied spirits, black shadows of disease and starvation. I hurried on past them, my eyes averted. In the company office, a man was stretched out on a pallet. He was very ill. Delirious. I was greeted by the manager and his assistants. Ah, Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Marlowe, yes. Sir. Sir, there was nobody at the board to meet you. Oh, that's Things right. have been in a terrible muddle here of late. Mr. Kurtz, you've heard of Mr. Kurtz. Oh, yes, I'm very anxious to meet Mr. Kurtz. The situation is grave, Mr. Marlowe. Most rumors have come in from the bar country that Mr. Kurtz is ill. Uh, yes, they do say Never mind he's... about it, never mind about it. Ah, genius, Marlowe. Ah, genius. Oh, yes. If you could see the tons, the perfect tons the of tons, ivory that men sent back from the interior. Uh, and even up to empty hands. Well, I understand the ivory stopped coming recently. Uh, 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 Groans uh, of the dying men make it difficult uh, to work. Man who comes out here should have no entrails. Marlowe, they tell me you're a navigator of sorts. Well... What do you think of the boat? Well, it doesn't look... Of course, I forgot to tell you... Last pilot we had hit a snag. <laughs> the hull is sunk no in the mud. No matter, no matter. 
Have all behaved splendidly? Splendidly. Oh, yes, splendidly. Well, Marlowe, how long will it take you to get off floating? Well, how can I tell? I haven't even examined the wreck yet. Some months. Some months? Oh, certainly. You won't do at all, my dear fellow. What they tell you about Mr. Kurtz is true. Well, just what do they tell you about Mr. Kurtz? Well, there have been rumors. His handling of the natives, for one thing. But perhaps a trifle, well... Uh, prestige, you know. He was probably yeah, justified. We must hold on to prestige at all costs in this part of the world. At all costs. Why does everybody talk around the subject whenever I ask a question about this man, Kurtz? Are you all afraid of him or something? Frankly, Mr. Marlowe, we are. Scared to death of him. <laughs> Weeks of waiting. Weeks of waiting for a box full of rivets to come up from the coast. And in those weeks, I saw the station full of white men with long sticks in their hands, strolling aimlessly about like a lot of faithless pilgrims, bewitched inside a rotten fence. The men at the station all seemed to be waiting for something. But all that ever came to them was disease. The word ivory rang in the air. You'd think they were praying to it. Finally, the boat was made ready, and we left. There were three of us on that journey, besides the cannibal crew. It was like traveling back to the earliest beginnings of the world when vegetation rioted on the earth and the big trees were kings. Trees, millions of trees, massive, immense, running up high. And at their foot, hugging the bank against the stream, crept a little begrimed steamboat, like a sluggish beetle crawling on the floor of a lofty portico. Where the company men imagined it crawled to, I don't know. Some place where they expected to get something, I bet. For me, crawl toward Kurtz. Mr. Marlowe, stop the engines! What's the trouble? Stop the engines, I tell you! Listen. You hear that? War drums. Steersman. Yes, Buona. Are those war drums we're hearing? Masabi war drum. Masabi, this far down the river. He's crazy. Not crazy. Masabi. No make war on other tribe. Make war on intruder. Intruder? That's us, I suppose. Masabi call on all tribe belong united. Huh? In name of Wana, who make rain to fall in fine weather. All What's he saying? Something about curves, I think. Well, what about him? He must have been doing some missionary work up the river. On his own behalf. Drums. A thousand drums. The steamer toiled along slowly on the edge of a black and incomprehensible frenzy. The prehistoric man was cursing us, praying to us welcoming us. Who could tell? We couldn't understand because we were too far. We couldn't remember. You wonder I didn't go ashore for a howl and a dance? Well, no, I didn't. I had to watch the steering. The wooded bank slipped past us slowly and we crept on. Toward Kurtz. (laughs) 
station number two, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah? I don't like the look of it. Neither do I. Better get off and see. That might not be advisable. You mean you're afraid? Mr. Schmidt, why don't you go ashore? All right. I will. Coming, Mr. Marlowe? Mr. Marlowe must stay by the wheel. In case you have to leave suddenly? <laughs> Very well. You see this, Marlowe? Yeah. It's an arrow. I saw it strike the deck today. Well, so did I. What about it? There's no metal in these parts, Mr. Marlowe. This arrow has a steel tip. Steel tip? You mean... I don't know what I mean. Hey, Schmidt. Schmidt, what did you find? Our company officials. They're in the hut. But there. why don't they come out? Answer me, Schmidt. Why don't they come out? Are they dead? Yeah. They're dead. Fever? I can't tell. They haven't any heads. <laughs> Some 50 miles beyond, we came upon a hut of reeds. And here we found a piece of board with faded pencil writing on it. Hurry up, approach cautiously. Now what the devil does that mean? We found out later who wrote it, a company man, Detirpitz. We came too late to do him any good. His head was grinning at us on a pole, where it had been placed in some ritual. By courts. I'm not disclosing any trade secrets, but I want you to understand now that Mr. Kurtz had taken a high seat amongst the devils of the land. I mean literally. His, uh, let's say, his nerves went wrong. He presided at certain midnight dances, ending with unspeakable rites, which I gathered were offered up to him, to Mr. Kurtz himself. You can't understand. How could you? A solid pavement under your feet, surrounded by kind neighbors ready to cheer you or to fall on you. Stepping delicately between the butcher and the policeman. And the holy terror of scandal and the gallows and the lunatic asylum. How can you imagine what particular region of the first ages a man's untrammeled feet may take him by way of solitude? Utter solitude and silence. At the inner station, we found him. A group of natives appeared, wading waist-deep in the grass, bearing a stretcher. Some carried his arms, two shotguns, a heavy rifle, a light revolver, the thunderbolts of that pitiful Jupiter. The dark warm of the wilderness breathed out an immense horde of naked men, a serpent that writhed and stamped, a moving chain of black bodies carrying on their shoulders the gleaming white ivory. Stretcher was carried up the gangplank from the deck. I looked down on the long, gaunt figure of Kurtz. Kurtz himself. The hollow cage of his ribs. A bald skeleton head. Like an ivory ball. You. You came a long way for me. A long, hard way. It was a good hunt. You caught me alive. Put him in his cabin. In his cabin? Like if you go, Set him down for a minute. I'm cheating them. I'm going to be a martyr. 
I'm going to die. You a martyr? Oh, yes. I'm more than a hero already. Not to you. You'll never understand me. Not courts. Not the statue in the public park. There will be one, you know. A big one. Very bad taste. And on this day, every year, they'll make speeches. Lay wreaths at my stone feet. And then the young man will go off singing a song about me. No. You'll never understand. But the ivory. I got you the ivory. You understand that? Open the door. Captain Marlowe, Captain Marlowe, I, I, I think we should steam up as soon as the ivory is loaded. No telling about his name. But Mr. Quartz... Mr. Quartz is a very sick man. There's a remarkable quantity of ivory, but his methods have been unsound. You call it unsound methods? Without doubt. Don't you? Well, no methods at all. But he got the ivory. I consider Mr. Kurtz a remarkable man. He was. He was a most remarkable man. The brown current ran swiftly out of the heart of darkness, bearing us down towards the sea. And Kurtz's life was running swiftly too, ebbing, ebbing out of his heart into the sea of inexorable time. You, you know, Marlowe, there's a man now in Europe trying to do what I have done in the jungle. In his madness, he thinks he cannot fail. But he will. A brute can rule only brutes. I have known what the others try to get. Absolute power. I've had it in the one place that was possible. I am the man on top. The one man. The rest are six feet on the ground where I buried them. That's the game. Buried the rest of them alive. Stay on top yourself. I won the game. But the winner loses too. He's all alone. And he goes mad. Good. Good. What are you looking at? They buried something in the river. It was Kurtz. But Kurtz lived again for me. And I came back to that seaport city to see that girl. That strange and lovely girl. Oh, yes. He lived then for me. The vision entered the house with me when I went to see her. The stretcher. The wild crowd of worshippers. The gloom of the forest. The glitter of the reach between the murky bends. 
the beat of the drums, regular and muffled, like the beating of a heart, the heart of a conquering darkness. His words came back to me. Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Marlowe. I saw them in the same instant of time. His death and her sorrow. I saw them together. Heard them together. You were with him when he died? You knew him well. As well as it's possible for one man to know another. Then you know what vast plans he had. Something must remain. His words at least have not died. His words will remain. You were with him to the last. The very end. I heard his very last words. Repeat him. I want... I want something. Something to live with. The dusk was repeating the words around us. Like the first whisper of a rising wind. His last words. To live with. His last words. The last word he pronounced was your name. I knew it. I was sure. Should I have told her the truth? I couldn't. I couldn't tell her. It would have been too dark. Too dark altogether. Well, we've lost the first of the ebb. And see, the river. Sleepless. Crowded with memories of men and ships that it's borne to the rest of home or to the battles of the sea. Hunters for gold and pursuers of fame. My friends, what greatness has not flowed on the ebb of that river? into the mystery of an unknown earth. The dreams of men. The seed of commonwealths. The germs of empires. The river is black tonight, my friends. Look. It seems to lead into the heart of an immense darkness. Festa Blanca Wine joins our audience here in Hollywood in applauding Orson Welles for his production of Heart of Darkness. In a few moments, Mr. Welles will be back to tell you about next week. If there's one thing above all else that gives a charming woman a grand lift of spirit, it's to have her friends speak of her as a perfect hostess. And today, the perfect hostess usually serves a fine wine with her dinner. A wine like Cresta Blanca. For Cresta Blanca wine has a way of saying to her guests, Welcome. We're glad you're here. Cresta Blanca adds a gay note of festivity to the meal. 
And remember, the service of wine is a simple thing. Just choose the Cresta Blanca table wine you like the best and serve it well chilled. It may be a white table wine like Cresta Blanca California Sauterne. Or it may be a red table wine such as Cresta Blanca California Burgundy or Claret. To a simple family meal or when company comes, the Cresta Blanca wine is the crowning touch. The crest of quality in wine since 1889. Now, Mr. Orson Welles. Thank you. Thank you very much. Before I tell you about next week's show, here's an announcement from the Office of War Information. This year, tens of thousands of hitherto deferred farm workers are scheduled to be called into the armed services. No longer a patriotic hobby, but a vital war necessity for all who have garden plots to grow victory gardens in 1945. You can get expert advice free by writing to your state agricultural college or to Victory Gardens, Washington, 25, D.C. And now about next week's show. That's a comedy by the man who wrote Mr. Winkle Goes to War. One of my favorite people, Ann Southern, will be the star. Title is Miss Dilly Says No, Need I Say More. I sincerely hope you'll be with us next week. Until then, I remain as always obedient to you. Our musical score was composed and conducted by Bernard Katz. Don't forget next week when Ann Southern will star in a radio adaptation of Theodore Pratt's story, Miss Dilly Says No. And remember, whenever you dine, dine with wine. And make it the best wine. B-R-E-S-T-A, B-L-A-N-C-A. Presta Blanca, Presta Blanca. This is My Best, prepared in collaboration with Whit Burnett, editor of the book. This is My Best is a presentation of the Presta Blanca Wine Company of Livermore, California, and came to you from Columbia's Playhouse in Hollywood. John McIntyre speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's it for this episode of Orson Welles on the Air. You can find past episodes of this show at relicradio.com. You'll also find all the other shows listed there. Links to our forum, Facebook page, Shoutcast Stream and everything else Relic Radio. Also a donate button if you'd like to help support this and all the shows. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you to those who have. Thank you for joining me today. Be back soon with more Orson Welles on the air. <laughs>